Hey, this is Jim Fleming, and this is the Stuart Heights Fleming Sunday School Class Podcast. Here, you will find recordings of our weekly Sunday School Class, as well as a few other teaching opportunities I get at my church. Now, this podcast is not intended to replace your Bible study, to replace your weekly church attendance, or to be your sole source of spiritual instruction. Go to church for that. This podcast is for members of my class who happen to miss a week here or there and don't want to fall behind. But before you listen to this episode, you may want to go to teachings.gym314.com and download student or teacher handouts, as well as any PowerPoints, so you can follow along visually and see what we saw in class, as well as take some notes. Thanks for listening. Come back often, and feel free to add this podcast to your favorite podcast app. I'd recommend Overcast. Now, let's get to this week's lesson. Good morning, good morning, good morning, everybody. All right, we're in Romans today, Romans chapter 11. Uh, and as we do each week, we'll do a gentle reminder on, uh, as our PowerPoint is there, uh, of uh, kind of what we're approaching and how we're approaching our Bible study time. Uh, historically, for me, what I have found is that I have spent a whole lot of time, uh, this yellow section is tools, uh, and working in commentaries and what other people think, uh, and not very much time listening to the Holy Spirit and staring at the text and talking, actually talking and having conversation with other believers. So um, what I've pushed us to do this series is to spend a whole lot more time listening to the Holy Spirit, looking at the words of Scripture, and talking to other believers. So today's class, uh, we're going to read the text, we're going to explain the text, apply the text, personalize the text, and then have some table prayer time. Uh, today is week 31 of our 47, 48-week series in Romans. Uh, we've completed Righteousness Introduced. So Paul brings this concept forward and introduces himself in, in this concept. Uh, position the righteous wrath of God towards sin and sinners uh, onto the world. That really sets the backdrop of the whole rest of the explanation of the book. Uh, talked about saving righteousness. So Jesus comes in, but now we have a Savior. Uh, and then we're about to finish up this series, the section on righteous freedom, chapters 5 through 8. I'm sorry, we finished the section on righteous freedom, about to finish up righteousness to the Jews, Paul's conversation with the Jews, and we get a glimpse of that conversation to us today. Uh, and then next, uh, two weeks from now, we'll start righteous living, which really is the majority of the rest of the actual text of the book. So uh, as we do each week, we're going to start reading at the beginning of the section. Uh, so we are going to start in Romans 9. Romans 9, 1. I'll read all of Romans 9, all of Romans 10, and then Romans 11, uh, 1 through 24. <clears throat> so if you want a copy of the ESV that I'm reading out of, there's a hard copy of the whole Bible there. There's also a paper copy on the table. So feel free to grab one of those, or you can read along in your version, or you can just listen either way. <clears throat> so Romans 9. I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. They are Israelites, 
And to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, the promises. To them belong the patriarchs. And from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. But it's not as though the word of God has failed. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. And not all are children of Israel because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And this means that it's not the children of the flesh who are the children of God. But the children of the promise are counted as offspring. For this is what the promise said. About this time next year I will return. And Sarah shall have a son. And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived by children of one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing either good nor bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told, the older will serve the younger. And as it is written, Jacob I love, but Esau I hated. So what shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? And will what is molded say to its molder, Why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? And what if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory? Even us whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. As indeed, he says in Hosea, those who are not my people, I will call my people, and her who is not beloved, I will call beloved. And in the very place it was said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called the sons of the living God. And Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved. For the Lord will carry out his sentence upon the earth fully and without delay. And as Isaiah predicted, if the Lord of hosts had not left us offspring, we would have become like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. So what shall we say then? That the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it? That is a righteousness that is by faith? But that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law? Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith. But as if it were based on works, they have stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they might be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. 
For there's no distinction between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord is Lord over all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him in whom they've not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed, they have. For their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I've been found by those who did not seek me. I've shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. So I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means. For I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah? How he appeals to God against Israel. Lord, they have killed your prophets. They have demolished your altars and I alone am left and they seek my life. But what is God's reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened, as it is written. God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear, down to this very day. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and bend their backs forever. So I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Now I'm speaking to you Gentiles. Inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so is the branches. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, will be grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. And that is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and the severity of God. Severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. And even if they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. 
For if you were cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? So he explores a lot of concepts in this little bitty passage. And I hope you are beginning to see the value in reading these longer sections because he's building and he's building and he's building and he's building and he's adding and then he comes to these conclusions and I I try to read it with some measure of uh, passion so that you can hear perhaps what Paul's heartbeat was and where he was going with some of these. But he's, he's pleading in these passages. So, all right, so let's talk about the explanation. Uh, Bible study is all about asking and answering questions. So, are there any literary or structural observations? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you one. This is not a blank. But in verses 12, 15, and 16, there is no verb in Greek. Thank you. I got one scrunched up face. I appreciate that scrunched up face. Uh, in my mind, you kind of need a verb uh, to have a sentence. But in Greek, you don't need as many verbs as apparently you do in English. So um, I thought that was a bit odd. Uh, so what Old Testament passages are quoted in this section in verses 11 through 24? You got the right answer, Zeke. None. None, yes. That's right. So what's he doing here? So has, has Paul quoted Old Testament passages in this larger section before? Oh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> so we, we wore our Bibles out one Sunday morning, flipping and turning and looking up and studying. And, but there's none here. He's beginning to close the argumentative portion of his letter. Chapters 12, 13, 14, 15, and 16 are really more about what does this look like lived out. The theology, the rich, deep, complex, argumentative theology begins to come to a close in chapter 11, and he's wrapping up. And you don't continue to introduce new evidence all the way at the very end of a trial. You get that out of the way, and then you argue, and you argue, and you argue, and his arguments are beginning to come to a close. So just a couple ideas on why he might be uh, doing that. So let's transition into what do the words mean today. Um, And we're going to talk a lot about... Uh, Greek moods today, and a Greek mood is not how somebody feels. Uh, a Greek mood is a, a, a characteristic of a verb, uh, and I, I did a whole lesson on these uh, several months ago, but I just want to walk through, and you may need to move where you can see these, but, uh, and there's others that are in the Koine Greek, in the Greek and the New Testament, but these are the ones that are used in today's text. So an indicative is a statement of fact. Uh, the author believes this thing is true, and they're just making a statement of fact. Uh, an imperative is a command. So this is, uh, Zeke, stand up. Great. Now, uh, Zeke is standing. It's a participle. Yeah, sorry. It's an ing, right? So you can add ing. Uh, Zeke, I need you to stand. What is that? That's an infinitive. That's a two plus a word, right? Uh, I think Zeke can stand. That's probably a a subjunctive. I I believe you can do this. I think Zeke can dunk a basketball today in those shoes on a 10-foot goal. There we go. (laughs) 
so we're, we've moved into the optative, which is like, there's a, there's a significantly less remote possibility of this occurring, but maybe, like maybe this is true. So I just wanted to, thank you, Zeke, you may sit. I appreciate that. Um, so I just wanted to have this kind of as a backdrop as we move through some of these today, because some of these uh, begin to really help us flesh out what exactly Paul is doing and how he is approaching uh, this, this particular argument. All right, so verse 11. So I ask, I lego, I say, did they stumble? Did they fall? Did they offend? Did they stumble? In order that they might fail or fall down. And he says, by no means. And this is the aorist active optative. So this is remote possibility that this is true. And Paul uses this particular phrase. I think this is the 10th time he's done it in Romans. And this is his last one. Because he's done playing Q&A with questions that the listeners ought to be able to know at this point. He's kind of, he, we're, we're past that point of making these, these radically, outrageously wrong theological statements and then coming back and saying, no, that's not true. He's moved on. So this is the last one he does this. Rather, through their trespass, through their transgressions, salvation or soteria, this is the, that to saving, to delivering, rescuing, has come to the Gentiles. <clears throat> so how many of you are Gentiles? How many of us are Gentiles? Most? I'm looking around the room. I think most people know that they are Gentiles. Okay, good. Excellent. So how do we get access to salvation? What does verse 11 say? Through what? To the Jews what? Yeah. They missed. They missed it. You're like, well, that seems like a strange door for God to open for the Gentiles to get in. I don't particularly care what the door is to open. I am grateful that we get in. We have an opportunity to have relationship with the master and maker of the universe. You say, praise the Lord. Right? Through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Now, the, the way to translate this word is to stimulate alongside or to excite to rivalry, to provoke to jealousy. This is not just, oh yeah, I kind of, like, I like your Bible. I think that's a great Bible. I'd, I'd like to have that. No, 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 no. This is, I'm going to fight you. I'm going to come alongside you and try to trip you up so I'm going to take your Bible when you fall. Yeah. Which is a really lousy way to steal a Bible. Like, you shouldn't steal a Bible like that. Um, anyway. All right, so to make Israel jealous, verse 12. Now, if their trespass, if this transgression, if this failing means riches, and this is the, this is the word for money and things that are valuable uh, for the world, for all the cosmos, and if their failure, if their diminishing of their, their uh, status means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion? Here's your first blank. This is the peace that filled up. The peace that filled up. Now, some of you, do, does anybody do uh, jigsaw puzzles? Do jigs I do jigsaw puzzles. I love jigsaw puzzles. Have you ever had this experience where you get to the end of a jigsaw and you have a piece? What do you want to do at that point? Don't answer. Don't answer what you want to do right there, right? God, I don't want to answer what I want to do right there. I want to throw the jigsaw through the window and say words that I shouldn't say because it's, it's frustratingly irritating. There's something incomplete and this word is the last thing that fills something up. So the full inclusion is the filling up. 
And I would argue it's the filling up of God's actual plan uh, because he's never gotten off plan, which is a wonderful thing. So this piece that fills up, verse 13, now I'm speaking to you Gentiles. And it's helpful when Paul does this, right? Because Paul's hard to understand in a lot of different places. And it's wonderful when he just says, all right, I almost feel like, Zeke, I'm going to keep picking on you today because you, there's a shine on your head and it's, it's, it's easy to see. It's almost like I feel like Paul's coming over and he's putting his hands on either side. like, I'm speaking to you now. Yes, have I got your attention, right? So he's speaking to us Gentiles. Um, you good, Zeke? <laughs> he's like, filter, filter, filter. What's that? Oh, I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> He's so gracious, though. <laughs> Should have done that with Sean. So I'm like, bring it. I don't care. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I was wondering why your head got purple there. I was, I was like, I'm not squeezing or anything. I don't know what's happening here. You shouldn't, you shouldn't die. It's great. All right. Great. So I'm now speaking to you Gentiles. Inasmuch then as I am an apostle or a delegate or an ambassador. This is the same way Paul introduced himself back in Romans 1.1. Uh, an ambassador, an apostle to the Gentiles. I magnify or uh, render glorious my ministry, my diaconia. Uh, it's a very, very similar word for the deacon. Uh, it's just his, his service, his office, in order somehow that I make my fellow Jews jealous. So Paul is intentionally focused on the Gentiles so that he makes Jews jealous. It's an interesting ministry approach. And guess what happens? We get in. These are the things that God uses. These are the approaches that God uses. His ways are higher than our ways. I never would have thought of that, right? So here, here's, the next, here's the next word. And thus save some of them. That word save is in the subjunctive. It is, there is a possibility or probability of this occurring. This is within the realm of possibility. That because I'm making the Jews jealous, some of them will be saved. There's a bit of hope in this, but there's also a bit of real possibility, which is good. So he's intentionally taking this approach. Which I think is amazing. So think about the complexity of Paul's approach and then run that through, have I ever taken, what's the, most, what's the most targeted, intentional, complex thing I've ever done to witness or to share the gospel with someone else so that they would want the gospel, so that they look at their need and they say, I need Jesus. And I say, wow. I mean, Paul is using a lot of his lawyerly skills here to do what God has called him to do in order to reach more people for Jesus Christ. And I would say, what do we have in our hands that we can use to reach more people for Jesus Christ? Jim, can I share something? Yes, ma'am, please do. My son Andrew had surgery. Yes. Okay, his special needs. So he was in recovery, and he had the uh, anesthesiologist was checking on him, and then his nurse, and so... He got. He wanted to pray with them, and he led them in the sinner's prayer. Did he really? Yeah, he did. That's awesome. That is awesome. Being after him, just, you know, so who knows? Get him sharing the gospel right there in his hospital bed. That is awesome. 
Wow. God's methods, right? I mean, this is God's methods. If you read through the Bible and you look at it and say, well, how did God work there? That was crazy. Like sometimes he literally makes something up to accomplish his purpose. You're like, oh, okay. Well, he, can, he just makes things up to get done what he wants done. Oh, yes, he does. <laughs> okay. Do I put it past God to use Andrew in that space at that time to share the gospel? Not at all. Absolutely. That's, this is what our God does. It is beautiful. So tell him well done from his Sunday school teacher. So, all right. All right, verse 15. For if their rejection, if their casting away or their loss means the reconciliation or the atonement, the, the restoring of a right relationship to the whole world, what will their acceptance mean? So we're talking about the Jews here. What will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? And is this not what God does, right? He's life from the dead. He looks and he sees death and he makes life and he, he makes something new. Right? Genesis 1. The Spirit's hovering over the whole world and the There's no life there. And the Spirit hovers and life springs forth. It's beautiful. That's what He does. The Spirit hovers around a dead person and life springs forth. Why would we think that God would operate differently with nations or ethnicities than the way that He does in the creation of the world and in the saving of individual people? This is consistency of our God. It's beautiful. It's, it's, it's incredibly complex. And it's, it's a, you, you don't think about these things at three or four levels up from the actual living of the life that we have. But when we stop and think about these, God is incredible to do this. So verse 16. So he starts to get real tactical with this uh, physical example. It says, If the dough offered as first fruits, or the beginning of this sacrifice, is holy or set aside, so is the whole lump. And if the root <clears throat> is holy, so are the branches. Now, you'll notice on your handouts there, on the bottom of that page and in the top of the next page, I don't define or have, them the, have in the brackets the roots or the branches or the broken off or the grafted in. Those are spectacularly well translated. Each one of those words mean pretty much just that only that thing. And every time they show up in the ESV, they mean they're talking about the exact same Greek word. So rather than just putting a bunch of parentheses and brackets of the exact same thing, I just omitted them today. So FYI. All right, verse 17. But if some of the branches were broken off, so picture this in your head, right? So if some of the branches were broken off and you... Although a wild olive shoot, which doesn't that make us sound just wonderful? We're a wild olive shoot. It, it feels like he's insulting us there, but I don't know enough about olive trees to know if this is an insult or not. And I looked this up in a lot of different places, and I couldn't really tell if this was is a backhanded compliment or just I'm just making an analogy, and this is just where you fit. So I'm not sure. Yes. Yep. Yep. Yes. One thing too, it's like voluntary. I don't know if you have voluntary yeah. in the garden. Sometimes you'll each year have to cultivate and plant the plants, and all of a sudden, something that you threw out last year is coming up, and you're like, yeah. oh, "You got voluntary." So yeah. it's like, yeah. yeah it's and he didn't say weeds. See, I don't go outside and plant things, so I, this is outside of my. <laughs> And when you said blackberry, I, I don't know. I, I was like, "Oh no, I can't." I remember getting stuck, and I remember like 
all of my fingers being purple because we would go out and we'd pick blackberries every morning in my dad's little blackberry patch that had a billion blackberries every single day. Oh, yeah, he, we planted them. They were like four little plants this big, and then three years later it was, you know, the wild kingdom. It was unreal. So, yeah. All right, so great, fantastic. So uh, good application there. So we were grafted in. So you know what grafting looks like, right? We'll, we'll talk about grafting here in a minute. But we were grafted in among the others and now share or are, we co-participate in the nourishing. All right, so uh, Sean sent me a great quote. Uh, the nourishing here actually means fatness. And it's, it's a noun in the Greek. It's not an adjective. And in, and in the ESV, it really looks like an adjective. And it's, it's not an adjective. Uh, a literal way to translate this would be um, they co-participate in, the, in this fatness, in this root of this tree. Uh, and Sean said uh, fatness, uh, root and fatness. This would be a fantastic either restaurant chain name, a rock and roll band, a new American church plant. Like we're rooting the fatness. Thanks for coming out, Chattanooga. Right? I mean, that's a, that is a fantastic name. So I think you should get that Twitter handle. And you should tweet, just tweet Romans verses. That'd just be, that'd be a great use of root and fatness. But, but there's a richness here that comes from participating in something that has value already. So here we go. Do not be arrogant. All right, so somebody tell me which one of these Greek moods you think this is. Indicative, imperative, subjunctive, optative, partic- uh, participle, or infinitive. Do not be arrogant. It's imperative, yes. There's your blank. <clears throat> now, how long has it been since we've had an imperative? It's been weeks and weeks. Amy, <laughs> you had a bunch, right? I gave you all the imperatives. I let you tell everybody what to do. So it was fantastic. But we have them here in this text. So and it, I think it's an interesting way to think through what Paul commands us to do in this space. But the first is do not be arrogant. There's no boasting or glorying toward the branches, right? Remember, we got grafted into something that was really good. That doesn't make me intrinsically valuable. That God said, oh, oh, here's this dead branch. I'm going to graft this dead branch into this living thing. And this dead branch, we're dead, right? We're dead. Doesn't that make the dead branch? Shouldn't glory in the dead branch's deadness? That makes no sense. All right, so do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, so present tense right now, if you are, remember it is not you who support the root or bear up or take up the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say, in the future, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. So I'm going to let, I just want you to sit in silence for 20 seconds and think about the fact that something was broken off for you to be grafted in. Just think about that. That's hard, right? I'm going to guess that we're probably not teaching that theological concept to the eight-year-olds upstairs right now, right? These are tough, tough things. And I think it's interesting that you have to wade through 11 chapters of Paul's logic and arguments to get to this concept, that something was broken off so that there's space to be grafted in. Verse 20, this is true. It literally means good or honest or well. They were broken off because of their unbelief. Now, that, I think I put the Greek word in your notes there, apostia. 
right? You see that there? The A means not, whatever comes afterward. So it's, it's not faith. So they were broken off because of their not faith. And how do we become Christians? By grace through faith, right? So if you do not have faith, are you a believer? No, you are not, because you were just saying, I do not have faith. I do not believe. So they were broken off because of their unbelief. It was an active working there. But you stand fast, or you abide. This is the same word that's used uh, when John is talking about abiding in Christ and living in Christ and having the presence and relationship with Christ. But you abide, you stand fast through what? Through faith. You see the word? Pistis. It's the ah of unbelief. It's the opposite of the word just before. So this is how you stand fast. So, so do not become proud, right? What do you think that mood is? Imperative. Yep. Do not become proud. So don't be arrogant and don't be proud. This word for proud just means to high or lofty. And then phreneo, the uh, phrenology is the study of the bumps on the head. So it's a high and lofty head or high and lofty thinking. Um, it's just not, we're commanded not to do that. But fear, but phobo, this is also an imperative. So don't be arrogant, don't be proud, but fear. You're like, well, that's a lot of, that's a lot of commands all of a sudden. Yeah, well, I'm going to go back to the taxonomy of learning that we talked about several, uh, a year or so ago. And in Proverbs, you know, the fear of the Lord is the basis for all knowledge. And on fear of the Lord, then you build knowledge, then you build understanding, then you build discernment, and then you add wisdom. You don't get to wisdom without a, a right fear of the Lord. Because the fear of the Lord is the foundational educational principle upon which all wisdom is built. So you can have earthly knowledge and understanding of things, but you can never put things in true perspective if you don't start with the fear of the Lord. And Paul is telling us that Old Testament concept back in Proverbs is still true in the New Testament. The fear of the Lord is where you Gentiles better be. And this is incredibly, incredibly important. And I, I don't think we preach and teach this a lot today, but fearing God is a good thing. Verse 21, he explains why. For if God did not spare or abstain or treat leniently the natural branches, these are the Jews, neither will he spare you. Note then, or be aware, or behold, or consider another imperative here. You're blank. <clears throat> consider the kindness or the excellence and the severity or the decisiveness of God. Severity toward those who have fallen. These are those that chose not to believe, the, the apostia, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue, and this is subjunctive, so this is the idea of there's a possibility of you continuing here, remaining in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. And even they, if they do not continue or remain or abide in their unbelief, in their apostia, they'll be grafted in. This makes sense, right? If you don't remain in unbelief, that means you're in belief. So if, if you choose not to be in unbelief, I'm choosing to believe and God grafts them in. This is still by faith. This is still how all of this works, which is beautiful. For God has the power. This is almost dunamis. I was hopeful he would be here. It's like the first cousin of dunamis. It's a very close word. For, for God has the power, the ability, the might to graft them in again. You know what your blank is? Again. This is awesome. This is a wonderful word. 
Because Paul is saying, as he said before, there's hope. There's a subjunctive possibility that some of these are going to be saved. And when they put their faith in Christ for their salvation, God grafts them in, and it's beautiful. Yes, sir. Uh, because, all right, let me, let me read you something. I think it is helpful to think about the grafting in and out as the opportunity that God makes available and takes away. So if you think about the grafting as this is open, the breaking off, this is not open. Does that make sense? And, and so some of you will vehemently disagree with this, and I'm completely fine with that. But I fundamentally believe that God chooses who will be saved. This is the doctrine of election. Before the foundation of the world, he chooses. And, and man has a choice to accept or reject the gospel. Because Jesus tells us we have a choice. So I have to accept what the theology is taught in the New Testament, which is election is a real thing. And I also have to accept the theology is taught in the New Testament, which is we have a choice. And I say, how can both of those be true? Because they are. <laughs> because God decides what is right and true, and he's decided this is right and true. Um, so I think it makes uh, logical sense if you think about the grafting as opportunity and not as the actual salvation itself. It's the possibility and potentiality, which is why I think Paul uses subjunctive. Sorry, we're getting real technical here. Um, <laughs> I think that's why he's doing it this way. I think. Okay? So I'm, I'm, I'm thinking here on this. So, and I'm out of time today, too, so i got to fly now. Dang it. All right, verse 24. For if you were cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree. I, Darla, I think you're right on this. I've been thinking about this since you said that. I think you're right on the... There's the cultivated versus the uncultivated. I think that's probably where he's going with it. How much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? All right, so let's flip to the back of the uh, that third page on your handout. Yes, we had a staple today. <laughs> All right, we're going to jump right to the application. What's the point? I don't think we ever want to forget that God is sovereign. God is sovereign. And sovereigns do what sovereigns want to do. And this is good. So S-O-V-E-R-E-I-G-N. Uh, Amy sent me a great quote. She said, we're not to get comfortable. God can and will deal with us the way that he did with the dead branches. He can also graft the dead branches back in because he's God and can prune and add to the tree as he chooses. Because he's sovereign. So what do we do with that? The personalized number one, submit to his choices. Submit to his choices. And I would say almost an addendum to that is assume everybody is grafted. Everybody's an opportunity, right? This is what Andrew did. <laughs> is that beautiful or what? I mean, how, what kind of a wonderful, I'm not thinking about me approach to life is that, right? I have, I have people, I have their full attention. I'm going to tell them about Jesus right now. And I'm going to lead them in the sinner's prayer. That is beautiful. That's just beautiful. <laughs> that's awesome. That's fantastic. <laughs> that's, that's amazing. All right. So application number two, hope remains. Paul uses that subjunctive because there is hope, and hope is real. So what do we do with that? We'll talk about the hope and live, thank you, live hopeful lives. You helped me with this blank. I appreciate this from last week's comments. So live hopeful lives. And then number three, there's no place for arrogance. No place for arrogance. All right, so let me show you a difference. Here's one, one way to look at this. 
We're in. We're in. We're in. How great are we? Oh, no. So close. So close. Here's another way. We're in. We're in. We're in. How great is God? Whole radically different approach. Okay? So have joy. Rejoice. Have joy and rejoice. But there's no place for arrogance. No place. So what do we do with that? Rejoice in God's kindness and fear God. I don't want to forget this because he, he is sovereign and he is doing and communicating things in and through Romans that are serious with literally eternal consequences. So lots of stuff going on with this text today. Uh, next week, the mystery of Israel's salvation. We finish up chapter 11 and finish up this major section. There's only two major sections left after that. I'm getting excited. We're on the downslope. About to go through 12 through 15, which I think is some of the uh, more can I say fun? I think fun stuff to talk about and teach in Romans. So um, maybe I shouldn't say that. I don't know. But I did. So it's all right. All right. So there's your homework on the page as well uh, to make sure that we're asking the Holy Spirit for help, reading the scripture, talking to the church, uh, and then going through and using any tools. Uh, so send me any feedback that you have. Even if you don't have a commentary, I'd love to have your feedback. My email is there in your notes. Uh, so let's move into our table prayer time. So hopefully you have written some prayer requests down uh, during this time. And then if you will pray as a group after you've gotten your names at the bottom of that weekly update page, you are dismissed. So thanks for coming to Sunday School today, guys.